Hello, and welcome to Reflections with Raja, a podcast about finding purpose, storytelling, and navigating life. My name is Raja Butter, and I use they-them pronouns. Join me on this weekly journey as I talk to incredible people living thoughtfully every day. Today, my guest is Dr. Joy Hoffman, someone who I consider dear friend and sister. We've known each other for over 13 years at this point, and in that time, I continue to be amazed and inspired by her every step of the way. Welcome to the show, Joy. How are you today? I am great. Thank you. And um, I really appreciate you asking that because I don't know that it's I don't know that that's always my answer lately. <laughs> um, but in this moment, I'm I, I'm well. And I think part of, part of it is because I get to be in community with you and talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. I, know I always learn more things when I talk to you. So I'm, I'm sure there'll be quite a bit of nuggets that other listeners will get from today as well. Um, so let's start pretty broad. Uh, tell me, what's your story, Joy? Oh gosh, um, how long do you have? So, <laughs> well, for um, for those who know me, um, and, and for those who don't know me, this is probably important part of my story is that I'm adopted. I almost say that as a disclaimer at times, and I actually know that I need to stop doing that. It's, it's almost like a disclaimer of I am um, an Asian American woman, but but wait, you know, I'm adopted. I was raised by white parents, and so for a very long time. That used to be more like, but I'm not really Asian, so don't, um, so don't treat me like I'm Asian, or don't talk a specific language to me because I'm not going to understand it and I'm going to be embarrassed. So I need to tell you this disclaimer so that you understand where I'm coming from, from the, you know, from our first point of interaction. I think it's now a transition to it's just a very key part of my identity, um, and I think it does make my story different and more nuanced in many ways in terms of I have a story that means that while someone chose me to give me a home, someone adopted me, how lucky am I to the nuanced understanding of yes, but also someone gave me away. Um, So how do I wrestle with, yes, I've grown up in a lovely family that loves me very much, um, knowing that other adoptees don't necessarily have that um, experience. And at the same time, understand that that means someone also gave me away and what are the feelings that go with that? And I don't have to always just feel blessed, for lack of a better word, for being adopted. You know, understanding that I basically moved to the United States without my consent. Um, and was stripped from my culture of origin without my consent and don't know my native language without my consent, like all of these different things. Um, And so that's become more of my story and narrative of understanding the harm of adoption and understanding also the blessing of adoption, you know, really trying to move away from, oh, I'm adopted as that some kind of bad part of my Asian identity, like somehow I'm not I'm not really Asian or I'm not really Korean. Um, And I think that a lot came out of um, my dissertation research and realizing um, just all the nuanced feelings and experiences of other adoptees and um, realizing that 
we have to own our stories, both the positives and the negatives and the celebration and the harm and be okay with that and sit with that um, and not apologize for it, but understand the nuances of it. So understanding that I did not grow up in a culturally Asian family. You know, I don't have a lot of the experiences of some of my Asian peers, um, some of the struggles that they talk about that I cannot connect with, that I don't understand, which leaves me feeling not Asian enough. And then the privileges that I grew up with being in a white family and close to whiteness, but also understanding that my proximity to whiteness doesn't make me white and it doesn't, and it doesn't shield me from racism and things like that. And for me, my story is just, um, I've been alive for 52 years now. Um, and I, and I know, you know, this Raja that it, you know, I was age 30 before I really recognized and identifies myself as a person of color because mm. I was raised, I was raised to be white. Like, I was told all my life for 30 years, you're just like us, quote unquote, being white. Mm. That's you know, <laughs> us being white or you're sure. not really Asian and and receiving that as a compliment. So in college, when my college friends would say, you're not really Korean, you're not really Asian. I took it as an as a compliment because I wasn't mm. like them. Right. And realizing later in life how racist that was, not just from my friends who were not malicious, there was no malicious intent, but just how white centered and US centric they were in terms of sure. you're like us. And so we'll be friends with you and realizing later that, oh my gosh, had I not been adopted, had I not um, been quote unquote like them, would I have I had even the same circle of friends and was that circle of friends even healthy for me? Um, mm. And how my self hate, like, just the internalized racism that I had in terms of like, oh yeah, I don't want to be like them. I want to be different and I want to be like you. I want to be white. And so unpacking all of that at age 30 was a major identity crisis for me. Like, mm. oh my gosh, I'm a person of color. I'm Asian. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> um, what does that mean? And then trying to process that with family and family telling me, no, you're not a person of like literally dismissing it. And what do you mean by that? You're not you're not a woman of color. Um, that's, that's, that's not a, that's not a term you should use for yourself. Um, you're American. So, okay. Mm. What does that mean? Like, oh, so sure. people of color can't be American. Like, so yeah, age 30 was my major identity crisis. It also very late in life was when I became very angry <laughs> and been like, this shit <laughs> like, I'm not, like, like no I'm a person of color and I've been oppressed for 30 years and didn't know it like you know and this is also amidst my education as a student affairs practitioner because that's when I wasn't doing my master's degree realizing that none of the theories really applied to me because it was either white identity or identity development for people of color but what about someone who's raised by white parents and and just really sitting with the discomfort of just almost feeling betrayed, like my education, mm. my education betrayed me. The church betrayed me. Um, my family betrayed me. Everybody has betrayed me. <laughs> like, I don't know who I am. <laughs> um, um, and having that imposter syndrome of I'm supposed to be the educator, but I don't even know what the F is going on in my own life. And yet having students of color come into my office, asking for support and not understanding why they're asking me for support and realizing that I'm the only staff of color. So that's why they're asking for my support. <laughs> like, you know, it's just that was that was really hard. Um, but 
it was also when I realized that this was the work I wanted to do. And I, I know I've talked to you about this. I think my story is, especially because I was raised in a conservative church, I've done a lot of harm to others mm-hmm. um, as a young adult. It not not maliciously intended. It was not, like I consider myself a very loving, kind, compassionate, empathetic person. But I was one of those people who would say, I love you as a friend, but I don't like your lifestyle or I don't agree with your lifestyle to my um, gay friends or um, I was raised to be colorblind. And so I didn't think about race or talk about race. So I know as a young adult in college and early years in my career, I did some very harmful things um, to friends, potentially to my to students. Um, I remember I remember distinctly a conversation. It was after I had started working in multicultural affairs, um, talking to a college friend who happens to be black and went to school with me. And, and, and he said to me, you are not the same person you were in college. Um, Mm. I would have never talked to you about race and stuff in college. And, um, idea. We didn't have any cultural, culturally, racially, ethnically, any kind of those clubs in college. Um, and he tried to, I did not know, but he had tried to start a black club in college and he was denied. Um, I didn't even know about this. So this is flash forward like years later, like probably 15 years later, I'm in the middle of my career. I'm doing multicultural affairs. And he's like, you're just not the same person you were when we went to school together, I would have never told you back then that I was trying to start a club for black students. You would have never understood. Um, And I've, you know, and I was connected to other uh, former um, college friends who are also friends of color who said very similar things. Like, yeah, we would have Mm. never talked, we would have never talked to you about the, like you, it's shocking that you're in multicultural affairs. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) like I was a really harmful person. And so I do believe that if I, if I would have never started working higher ed, higher ed accidentally, I would have remained this very harmful, um, person. And so in many ways, higher education saved me. Um, but you know, my story, higher education has right. also been, been very sure. harmful to me. Sure. So, you know, you know, when you're running for office, people dig up everything on you. I'm like, good God, I hope I never run for politics because people <laughs> would like, remember when Joy Hoffman said this when she was 20 <laughs> like, right. and people would be like, Oh my God, she's a terrible person. Um, yeah, and I think honestly, it's what gives me uh, more patience with people, mm. and um, the fact that I grew up with whiteness, the fact that I was uh, surrounded by whiteness my entire life, and that I did harmful things because of whiteness, and because I learned all of these terrible lessons around colorblindness and homophobia and transphobia and all these different things and religion, and um, I, I think that because I grew up that way and for lack of a better word, escaped it. Mm. Um, when people are still there, I'm able to have those conversations with them because I was there and I find I'm able to find language that hopefully resonates with them in a way that I can bring them into a conversation. And yet I still have to balance that with, I don't want to, extend too much energy into this because at some point you're doing harm to me. So right, like, right. I don't, you know, I, I hate cancel culture. 
And at the same time, I understand when you sometimes do need to walk away from someone and be like, I'm done with you. Mm. Um, you know, and I feel bad when I do that sometimes, but I also have to remember that I'm also trying to maintain my own integrity and my own health, mental health, everything, you know, that's healthy um, in those relationships. So yeah, there are people that I have decided we can't be friends anymore. Like I can't agree to disagree with you. Like this is not a conversation. This is not good for me anymore. Um, Versus, versus someone who's like, you know, I really am trying to figure this out. It's like, okay, we can be in this conversation. We are going to disagree, but I'm going to push and I, and, and I want you to push too. And I want to be in a dialogue with you. Um, But in the end, I just need you to know I'm not okay with hate. I'm not okay with dehumanizing and I'm not okay with people not having their dignity. So if that's where you stand on this, this is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, like, right. We've all been there, right? And that's part of, I think, something I continue to remind myself is like, we all had to learn some of this stuff somewhere yeah. around justice and equity. And in some ways, there's some values that are innate to who we are and how we show up. But the way we translate them in the language and the content of how we express that is something that we learn um, and being able to recognize that we all have that learning to do and to be able to provide compassionate accountability um, and really thinking about like, how do you both recognize that people need compassion for where they are meeting people where they're students and other people where they are while at the same time also being accountable to but you still need to do your work and and to show up and learn from those conversations well and and i think i can hold people accountable um while still allowing them their dignity i don't feel it's necessary to shame someone because for me that's not just me holding them accountable that me that's me going after their dignity and their character and them as a person versus i don't agree with you and here's why i don't agree with you and here's why your behavior was harmful and i need you to work on this versus adding on you're a you know terrible pos right like sure, um, sure. i'm really specifically talking about people i'm you know in relationship with and people i know like I don't want to break a relationship if I don't have to, um, you know, whether that's a student or whether that's a colleague or whether that's, um, a friend or a family member, I'm, I want to call them into a conversation. I do think that calling out is necessary at times. I call out our, uh, racist in chief all the time and people call him out. And then I, and I do call out racism in other capacities, and maybe that's wrong. Like, you know, I don't have relationships with these people. So like, it's, I'm not losing anything. So maybe that's a bad attitude. But, well, but I, but... I think it, it makes me think about, um, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, you and I had had this conversation and you sent this email to a, a friend of ours, a really thoughtful email around, hey, you know, as a, a white person asking people of color to do this, what does this mean to hold space? And, and how are you using our labor? Um, yeah. But you did that and you said that in such a beautiful way, recognizing and being really clear about what what the ask is, while at the same time also recognize that they're still human. Right. And 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 the response we got was lovely. Right. Right. Um, Right. And and it wasn't you know, I could have so easily said, I can't believe that you are asking me to help you with this. Do you not understand what's going on in the world? And um, this is so racist and you are just taking up all my energy and I'm done with you. (laughs) You Um, And even if there was some feelings of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're asking. When I was able to say, 
you know, the accountability piece of saying, hey, look, you know, as a person of color, this is labor and I want to know if this is paid and if it's not, I need you to know that like, this is not something that I want to do right now. And I would really like to encourage you to not ask other people of color to do this, to do this labor, but maybe recenter the conversation here where it is something that you can feel facilitate confidently. Um, and, you know, gave, and also gave some options. Sure, um, sure. And then, you know, and the response was lovely. It was like, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I remember this person said, even the time that you've put into writing this email deserves compensation. And so I really appreciate you being, um, being direct with me. Like, and again, this is a person I have a relationship with. Um, but even people we have relationships with, we don't always hold them accountable. Right, um, right. and so I think even, it's always even yeah. harder. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I don't want to break this relationship. And so, but I think we can do it in a way that still maintains the relationship and not maintains the relationships in a sense of, oh, I don't want to rock the boat or this is going to make it awkward or I'm somehow being passive. Not that, not that type of maintain, but like to just, I respect you as a human being. Mm -hmm. I I recognize that none of this is malicious, um, but even though the intent is good, here's the impact that it's having on me, and I need you to know what the impact is, and I hope you hear me, um, and then going from there. And if the person gets all defensive, that's another conversation. Right, right, um, right. But when you're in relationship with someone, most often they'll be like, oh, gosh, I had no idea, or they maybe need to walk away and sit with it and, and be offended or whatever, um, and then I need to walk away and be like, okay, I guess you're offended, but... <laughs> Um, right. that I can't, you know, or, you know, we talk about how, oh, you're trying to make me feel guilty. It's like, well, actually nobody can make you feel guilty. I was just talk, listening to a podcast the other day. And one of the things they were talking about is like, you, you know, people don't make you feel guilty. And I've said that for years in terms of like, yeah, like when you talk about, well, so-and-so is trying to make me guilty. Like, no, when I've done facilitation around privilege, one of the things I talk about when we're talking about privilege in any sense, like in any, any privileged identity, if someone from an oppressed or minoritized or mar marginalized identity calls you out on something and says, Hey, you know, when you were in this space, this is what you said, and it was potentially harmful, or this is how I received it, and it was harmful to me. And your immediate response is to get defensive because, oh, you're trying to make me feel guilty. Um, no, that's an inner, that's an inner voice telling you that you probably um, should sit with that because if you really don't think you're doing these things, then when someone gives you the feedback, the appropriate response is, oh, wow, I did not realize I did that. I am so sorry. Right. I'm going right. to try to do better, right? So when you have something making you feel guilty, that's not the person calling you out. It's your it's your own inner struggle. And so, right. um, so I do think that I'm able to uh, reach different audiences because of my lived experiences. And in many times I'm willing to do that even to reduce labor of other people. Mm. Um, but the downside is, is because I'm willing to do that to reduce labor of other people. Sometimes I get more labor. And so right. I was telling you the other day, I have a friend who has reached out consistently about her own learning and I love it. Like she's been doing her own homework. So it hasn't just been, Hey, send me stuff. It's like, 
I've been doing, you know, some research and I've read this book and I've done this and I've read this article and, and, um, this is where I'm kind of at. I was wondering if you have any other resources that would help me continue my learning. Like, I love that, you know, and even mm. started, even started off with, I know I shouldn't be asking you because you're a person of color, but I don't know who else to turn to. So clearly had done some homework. And so, yes, of course, like, you know, and it's a person I've had a relationship for a very long time. So yes. So I'm helping this person out, but then at some point this person just kept sending me stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, you're exhausting me. (laughs) But instead of just ignoring would just do a a thumbs up (laughs) like, or a Mm -hmm. great. Sounds like you're doing your homework, you know, um, without having to respond too much because maybe you're looking for validation. That's not what I'm here for. So I'm not going to perpetuate this because otherwise you'll keep messaging me. Um, At the same time, I do want to, I do want to be like, okay, I'm listening and glad you're doing these things. Keep going. But I'm not going to consistently be here for you to process with because at some point, at some point you got to do your own um, work. Right. Just if you were to make a statement about like, what is your gift to the world? You know, I think when you ask that question, you know, I'm trying to think of this big grandiose, what is my gift to the world? And I, and I think sometimes, (laughs) I think sometimes it can just be something really subtle. Like um, Mm -hmm. I'm very hospitable. Like I think people know that if they said, joy, I need a place to stay. Um, our house is open, um, you know. Wasn't your house in LA known as kind of a, a hostel for many, many wayward youth? Yeah, people <laughs> called it home base. Um, and it was right. a lot of, it was a lot of young professionals and it was a lot of um, people of color, queer people of color, um, uh, grad students, former grads, mm-hmm. um, and just colleagues who just needed space. Um we lived in this house for 15 years and the last several years we lived there, we actually, the upstairs was actually empty. And we joked about like, what is going on? Like nobody's living upstairs. Cause there was always someone living upstairs. And if <laughs> someone wasn't living upstairs, we had an inflatable bed in the living room um, or someone was you know sleeping on a couch or, or whatever. And, um, and I enjoyed it. Like I, I think I enjoy taking care of people and not in the sense of taking care of like, you can't take care of yourself, but I just enjoy, mm. I enjoy caring for people. And, um, we've hosted, uh, pre-wedding ceremonies because the, um, the couple's, um, parents and families were, um, disagreed with the fact that they were two gay men and, um, they shouldn't be getting married. So we had it in our backyard. And, um, what's been fun is that people have been able to ask, like, would you mind if we hosted this at your house? Um, And so I don't know, maybe the gift of hospitality, um, and it's it's interesting because when we moved to Crookston, Minnesota, it's one of the things I missed the most. Like my front door is not opening up randomly. I'm not finding people sleeping on my couch when I get home from work and be like, "Hey, hi." Um, <laughs> I, I one time, I, I hope he's listening. I one time, Williama Sanchez, a former student of mine, and then he was in a grad student program uh, or grad program. I one time came home from work and he was just sitting at the counter. He's like, "Hey, I'm studying. I just needed a different." environment i'm like okay <laughs> like <laughs> foods in the free he goes oh yeah i already raided the pantry and people would come over and they would just know they could raid the pantry like they would i would come home and people That's would be just funny. sitting at the front the counter eating my food like like I'm like oh good you found the doritos like oh yeah you know so um like it was home to people and that's what i love mm, mm. um so 
what is something that we can all do to make this world? I know I think you've kind of talked about some of the ways that you have found and you and John, I think have, have been really intentional in building spaces where you can do this, but any, any wisdom or insights that other folks can, can practice. Yeah, I think, you know, people are so quick to say, um, be kind and love. And I think the way it's being framed, I have an issue with because I think um, it's sometimes being framed as, well, if I just love everybody, um, that's good enough. Or I'm just kind, that's good enough. Because I mean, I'm in, I'm living in Minnesota right now. Minnesota nice is a thing. And so, yes, <laughs> I love it that people are nice here, but nice here is also colorblind and passive aggressive. So, so you mm. can love someone and be kind to someone, but it can also be colorblind and passive aggressive, right? And so I think, you know, what the gift we can give to the world, I think, is what does genuine love and kindness look like when it's centered around social justice and when it's grounded in this idea of really seeing and hearing people um, and recognizing pain and not just dismissing it and pretending it doesn't exist? Like, what does it look to love someone so hard that you recognize that all laws and policies and practices in this world are um, meant to uphold a system that, you know, really just continues to make the richer, richer and the more powerful, more powerful and the more privileged, more privileged, right? What does it look to, mm. what, what does it look like to ground love and kindness in a, in a foundation of social justice? Um, mm. And I think, I get discouraged when I say that because I just think there's so many people in this world that don't give a crap about social justice, you know, and some of the, mm. some of these people are my own family, um, that the idea of social justice for them is it scares them because they feel like something's going to be taken away from them. Um, and in many ways, yeah, something is being taken away from you so that someone else can have something you've been given all your life. And, um, but why are you holding on so it so dearly? Because if you're holding on to it this tightly, you must know how valuable it is. Mm. And if you mu if you're holding on to it this tightly, that means the value you put in it, the fact that you're not willing to have, let someone else have that value, I find really, really problematic. And let me back up. This is why I say I wish we could genuinely love and be kind in a way that centers social justice. Because I think when we center, mm. I think when we center social justice, this is not just about being love and kind to everybody for the sake of being love and kind. It when you center social justice, it means that you recognized that you recognize that there are people with power and privilege. And I think and right. when you center social justice, you recognize that there's oppression. And I think at some point we do have to draw healthy boundaries with people who are oppressive. That's how I see it. Like that, you know, and people may disagree with me. For me, it's not being unkind saying I can't be in the same space with you anymore because you are being harmful. That to me is, that's mm. to me is maintaining my own mental health. So, and I can still love you as a person and, uh, and not want to wish any harm. Like I don't wish harm on people. Like I've separated myself from a lot of people in the last two weeks. I don't wish harm on them, but I also don't need sure. to be in a space with them either. So sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in doing all this work, um, I think you talk a little bit about boundaries and taking care of yourself. What nourishes you? What do you do to take care of yourself? So it's kind of funny. It's a catch-22 because these types of conversations totally nourish me and they also exhaust me. 
like, there's days where I'm like, can I just watch Netflix and not, can I, you know, you and I have had these days where it's like, let's watch this documentary. And then I was like, can we just watch a Disney right. movie? Like, you know, and, right, I, and I think right. also giving ourselves grace, like, of, you know, I think what nourishes me too is like sometimes just giving myself grace and saying, you know what, I don't like need to be in education mode all the time. Um, and um and so sometimes just being able to you know especially with this whole social distancing i think you know when you say what nourishes you it it's a whole new level of what gives me nourishment and what um feeds me because what usually feeds me is being around people and community. And that's really hard to do mm. during COVID. And so I have really found ways to connect with people um, during this quarantine in ways that I probably would not have connected with them previously because it was always available, right? Like, um, you know, you and I have connected probably more through quarantine than we ever did um, when we were not in quarantine, um, right, watching right. movies together um, and just the silly, like, okay, where are you queued? Okay, I'm at, I'm at two seconds. Okay, go. <laughs> like, or, right. Wait, I paused the movie. Oh crap, where are you now? I'm at 38 <laughs> seconds. You know, get back to 38 seconds. Like, it's just hysterical. But, um, you know, and I've I've connected with a friend in uh, California. Um, you know, her name's Leah and we, we work out together on a regular basis and we'll, sometimes she'll like, let's go for a walk. And so we'll, we'll call each other on the walk and, and we're talking to each other while we're walking, but we're both walking. Right. Um, I've connected with a friend in Pennsylvania who's doing a Shanti challenge with me right now. And, and we had not talked for years. She used to be a program assistant for me um, when I worked at another institution and we stay up we totally, you know, stay up um, with each other's lives on social media, but we had not actually seen each other for years. And, mm. now, and now we see each other two to three times a week because we work out together, That's great. you know? Yeah. And so the community um, really helps, I think, um, uh, being able to reach out to someone and have them understand my anger during this time and my sadness and my confusion and sometimes feelings of hopelessness and at the same time, feelings of hope, you know, um, and not have them question, but just kind of sit with me and have those conversation has been nourishing. Um, the exercise has been great. Like I, and I, I don't like, I've just become an exercise machine during COVID. Like I, like mm. it just, I enjoy it. It's, um, um, I love doing the challenges and I've really, really enjoyed becoming stronger over the last year. Um, that has really fed me. Um, I love, um, you know, John and I talk about, I'm happy that like we enjoy each other's company because, you know, there, there's probably <laughs> couples all over the world. They're like, can we just get out of quarantine? Um, and right. John and I really enjoy each other's company. So like the other day we were, we were fishing and, he just said, I just really love this chapter in our life. Mm. Uh, and we look forward to like, we've been talking about, we, we were Netflixing this one. We were watching this one show for forever. It had like 15 seasons and we finally finished it. And our evenings are open. Like we almost felt obligated to watch it every evening. Cause it's like, well, we have to finish it. <laughs> and so now that it's over, it's like, well, what do you do? So now we're watching movies and stuff. But like the other day, um, 
we took our bikes in to have them tuned up because I thought, wouldn't it be fun this weekend to go for a bike ride? Um, and so we're, we're like really excited about this bike ride this weekend and getting outside That's together. Awesome. Um, and we've enjoyed fishing. Like who would have known that I would have like enjoyed fishing, but I'm totally enjoying fishing and it just, it's super fun. And I think he loves that. I love it because it's something that we're doing together. He asked me if I wanted to try golfing and like, there's things that in many ways that, um, moving here to Minnesota, um, as hard as it has been, because it's this rural, rural, small town that's very white and pretty conservative. Um, I have found these little pieces that really bring me joy. Um, mm. and a lot of the things that bring me joy include John, um, and include my dog. Like my dog is a little shadow and he follows me around the house <laughs> and I feel like, Oh, this unconditional love is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I have found so much joy in slowing down. I have found so mm -hmm. much joy mm -hmm. in my consultant work and not having a boss and mm -hmm. being able to choose jobs that yes, this sounds like fun and no, this one does not. <laughs> and, um, working with you, like, you know, this has been, you know, we've both gone through some pretty hard shit <laughs> and mm -hmm. finding joy in each other and our friendship and not just our friendship, but really being able to work together and discovering how well we work together has mm -hmm. been, has been super fun for me. Um, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That's great. So last question, um, if you think about the world today and all the different people that are out here, who inspires you? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, the people are just making it happen. Like, I think, you know, I I have a friend named Heather who who's just almost like a nomad. Like she just, mm. she just embraces life and just goes with it. <laughs> and she's like, this isn't working for me. And she moves on. And right. I remember myself at her age and I think, you know, it was all about what job am I going to have and how am I moving up in my career and um, am I doing this right and all the shoulds and things like that. And she's just taught me so much about getting rid of the shoulds in my life and just, mm. you know, and, and sitting in the moment and, 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 and prioritizing yourself and not feeling bad about that. And, sure. um, and I think, you know, it, it kind of um, mimics some of the things that we've talked about in terms of like, you know, the universe takes care of you. And whether it's the universe or you believe in a higher being and a deity or whatever that, whatever faith looks like or spirituality looks like or what the universe looks like, whatever that looks like to you, there's some, you know, this idea of something that's bigger than us that's taking care of us and understanding also the harm that's been done to us. Um, mm my friend Jonathan talked about, you know, was talking about karma the other day. And, and I had said something about, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen the karma yet. And they were like, Oh, it's coming <laughs> because, you know, they were talking about how someone who had harmed them had kind of like, you know, it had all come back to them. And for me, the, per mm. the, for the, for me, the person who harmed me was promoted. So I'm like, I haven't seen that yet. Like this person just keeps getting promoted. Um, and they're like, Oh, it's coming. <laughs> And I just, yeah. I just, I admire the people who are just, um, like people like you and Heather and Jonathan and, mm. and, and, and my friend Leah, different people who are just like, you know what, 
the world has given me some pretty crappy things and I am going to trust the universe to take care of me. And that doesn't mean that it's like this dismissive, like, well, that means what happened to me didn't matter. It, it, it doesn't mean that like, I don't still feel pain or, um, you know, that it doesn't affect me. It's, it's still, it's still this sitting with the feelings and it's still sitting with, um, yeah, this was not okay, but it's also not being debilitated by it. Um, Mm. like I, I see what you're doing in terms of your work and, um, you're just kind of like moving forward and be like, okay, here we go. And I just like, I, I, I so am inspired by you. Hmm. And in our conversations, it's never been like, oh, I feel like I have to do this. It's like you're finding joy in it um, and and doing things that are meaningful to you. And, um, you know, we've had the conversation and we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast of like getting paid what worth and and saying, you know, like, does, the, does this job is is there is this job compensated? And if it's not like mm-hmm. I, I can't do this for you, you know, I mean, you know, right. and um I think I love and cherish the idea that there are the people who are inspiring me the most right now are people I am connected with on a personal level. It's not like this idea of someone. um, It's not necessarily, I mean, yes, there's authors. Like when, when you first sent me this, this list of questions, I'm thinking, okay, who inspires me? Of course, of course there's historical figures and there's off there's authors and they're artists and all these different, you know, all these different people who it quote unquote inspire me because I read this and this poem really inspired me. Right. Um, but it's like, it's the people who are closest in my life that are just really just teaching me that life's going to be okay. Like you and your art, like one day you were doing art and now you have like this website. I'm like, what? <laughs> who is my friend who is now like raising money and through their artwork and making coloring books and and then also doing a podcast and then also doing all this great work and like I'm like just like oh my gosh Raja like this is a side of you that I never knew before right and so it's just so much fun um and and then yeah like these all like literally and then I was telling you about like Heather and Jonathan do a podcast too. So listening to their podcast, I'm like, these are really good. This is really awesome. Like I would never, like, I would never think about doing a podcast and it would scare the crap out of me, but here they are. They're like out there doing a podcast. Right. So I just like, it's just cool to be inspired by my own friends. Um, Yeah. Mm. And so that's really, really cool. Yeah, well, I think for me, that's exactly why that was part of my inspiration for this podcast. I was like, I have so many freaking badass people in my life, and I want to hear more of their story. And so this, in some ways, feels selfish of a podcast, but I'm like, that really is. Like, I want to know more about these stories, and these are the questions that always have sat with me as getting to know people beyond hi, who are you? What do you do? Um, and so I think I, so I so appreciate you and, and the folks in my life that have, that have been open to sharing stories and, and to be able to do that. And I know for quite a few of us, you are equally inspirational. So I hope you know, you know that. Um, thank you so much for spending uh, this time to just share your wisdom and insights and your own life story and your um, finding joy in yourself uh, in a cheeky finding way. Joy um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
thank you for making time for this podcast and for your stories. Um, for those of you that are interested, check out the link, uh, the description for more information about Joy um, and uh, other information about how you can connect with her and the great work that she's doing in the world. The song you heard today is called Soul Purpose by a band called Solar Flare. For more episodes, go to www.rajabutter.com or find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. And join us for the next episode of Reflection with Raja. 